Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's episode is supported by Wick Realty. I've recorded every interview over the past year in my home studio. My family and I love our house, we love our neighborhood, and we're here because Wick Realty helped us sell our previous home and buy this one. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying, selling, building, looking for investment property, or even if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Amarillo Independent School District online at amaisd.org and to Amarillo National Bank online at anb.com. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Dr. Norbert Chirazi. Norbert is the founder of GTX Organics, a specialty manufacturer based in Amarillo. Norbert was born in Ghana, but arrived in the United States as a high school exchange student, and he's pretty much been here ever since. His scientific career began in the world of cattle and feedlots, but over the past 20 years, he's applied his expertise on fulvic and humic acids to human health and wellness. And so in case you don't remember your science, these acids are found in the soil and they're related to the breakdown of organisms, and they might have potential health benefits for humans. So GTX develops and supplies these ingredients, and Dr. Chirazi has worked with companies all over the world to build products around them. He's one of the experts on it. So if you've ever heard of, let's say, alkaline black water, GTX invented it and continues to bottle it from right here in Amarillo. So here's Dr. Norbert Chirazi. Norbert Chirazi, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm honored to have you. I, I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's just to ask why you're in Amarillo. So how did you end up in Amarillo in the first place? Well, I, mine is a very long story. I want to hear the uh, I, details, uh, maybe not the long story, so yeah, what, yeah. whatever you want to give me. Yeah, well, first of all, I graduated from Texas A&M in uh, 1987 okay. and in nutrition. Uh, that's my PhD in nutrition. I was very much interested in nutrition and health. And so I worked on campus for two years, and I got a open up here uh, with the Texas A&M Research Center in Amarillo. Okay. And it was a job for a scientist to, uh, to work on shipping fever, which is uh, like a cold virus disease huh. in, in cattle. And it was just right up my alley. I always wanted to look at nutrition, how nutrition affects the immune system, how we can um, put nutrients into animal food, and then they will build a stronger uh, immune defense system. And so I applied for the job, and they invited me to come and interview. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, they hired me as a young scientist. Okay. So I, uh, I just came to the right place because uh, where else can you find uh, cattle? Exactly. As many cattle as 
you know, this location. And people that interested in figuring out what makes them sick or what keeps them healthy. That's right. And what keeps them healthy and, and what prevents them from getting sick so that they may not have to spend time and money and in trying to bring them and, and treat them. In fact, uh, at that time, when I started about 1989, uh, the cost is probably a lot more now. And I've written a few papers on it, but uh, it was costing the cattle industry about $2 billion a wow. year. Yeah, in medicines and the time spent, you know, to treat animals. So um, I was happy that uh, I, I was able to join uh, some scientists on this program. Do, do you remember if you had any understanding of Amarillo before you ended up here? Like, was this city on your radar at all? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, I um, actually I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. I, I was born in Ghana, and I took part in an essay writing competition. And I won a scholarship to come on the American Field Service Program. Okay. And How old were you at the time? I, I was 17 years old. Okay. Yes. And a family in Portland, Oregon, they wanted an exchange student. And then they, they ended up by picking me. <laughs> so I ended up going to high school uh, in Portland, Oregon, and... Right after high school, I received so many scholarships hmm. that um, I decided to pursue my, my BS in, in biology. And um, right after that, then I moved next door to Washington State and got a degree in animal science. And I didn't even think about coming to Texas. Sure. I had not even looked up, you know, <laughs> where Texas was located. It's very different from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, well, that's for sure. yeah, very different. And, and at that time, we didn't have GPS, we didn't have all the other gadgets who could easily pull up information. So, uh, but what happened was I went to a conference to present my uh, research, master's thesis research. And I ran into a, a professor from Texas A&M. Uh, he sat in a uh, uh, seminar, and afterwards he called me. He said, look, your research is just right down in the area that I have my graduate students working in. Uh, would you be interested in coming to Texas A&M mm -hmm. to get your Ph.D.? And I told him, let, let me uh, go back and then think about it. And I, I went back to uh, Portland, and, uh, and then the following day, uh, he called me. Uh, he said, look, I set you up for a teaching assistantship, hmm. so I really want you to join my program. And I said, well, let me, let me think about that. And, and I had applied to go to the University of California, Davis. And so what happened was, um, in the next couple of days, he called again. He said, look, I also have a research assistantship for you. And so what happened? I said, look, let me take opportunity to uh, uh, you know, take this offer. And so I told him that, uh, you know, I called him back, you know, two days later and said, look, uh, I'm willing to come to Texas A&M. And uh, that's when I started looking at gas prices, <laughs> I started looking at tuition, and 
institution was so cheap compared to the was Northwest. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was, you know, pleasantly, you know, surprised. Funny enough, when I arrived here four years later, they tripled the tuition. Oh yeah, but it was still pennies, you know. And I said, look, <laughs> this is, you know, too good to be true. And and that's how I ended up in uh, in Texas. Um, in fact, the day before I left Oregon, it snowed as if they, they didn't want me to leave, you mm-hmm. know. And I waited and I waited. I had a small Honda Civic. I bought a brand new for four thousand dollars yeah. at that time, and I put all my belongings in there. I didn't have much, and so um, right after they opened the South Route going into California. I got into my little car and kept driving. Of course, I was looking at all the mouths I had in the front seat, you know, uh, until I got into uh, California. I drove all the way into Pasadena, uh, San Bernardino, actually, and I decided to look for a place to stay. And it just happened to be the, the night before the Rose Festival. Oh, and okay. and so um, the Rose Bowl, actually, the football game, and there was no place to stay. <laughs> so I put me, I had to uh, find a place and then spend the night in my car. <laughs> well, I was, okay, I woke up the next day and I kept on driving and driving and looking at the map and driving. And until I got to College Station, I made it safely. That's a, such a long drive. <laughs> yeah, it's a long drive to Amarillo, and then you still have, you know, another eight or nine or ten hours after that. That's right. People yeah. don't understand what it was like driving before GPS and yeah, and yeah. smartphones and all that kind of stuff. I, I want to hear a little bit just before we move on. Yes, about your life in Ghana before you came here. When when you you know, applied to be an exchange student or wrote that essay. Yes. Did you think, I'm just going to do this temporarily and then come back home to Ghana? Or did you have a sense that it might result in a lifetime living in the United States? Well, it was a big surprise to me. Um, uh, Ghana, as you well know, uh, Ghana was a British colony. It was called the Gold Coast. And so... All our educational system follows the the British and right. American format. So when I I was living in a boarding school, right right after elementary school, all the high schools are board. Most of the high schools okay. are boarding school. So I was living in a boarding school. Uh, fortunately enough, we had some Peace Corps teachers around that time. Uh, this was uh, 1967 when I started. Okay. And by 1971, I had a Peace Corps teacher. Her name was Mrs. Mulligan. And I, in my English class, she just liked my writing so much. I, I was the little guy, you know, in the classroom, yeah. but very obedient. And, and I, I could write. And so one day she came to me. She said, have you ever thought about applying for a Mercantile Service Scholarship? And I said, no, no, I haven't. I don't even know what the program meant. And this was a rural school in, in a small town in Ghana. So I wasn't surprised that uh, I had no knowledge about a Mercantile Service. And so um, the next couple of class days, she brought me a form. And she said, fill this form. And I filled the form, and then they brought me... 
um, the essay. The essay was to write about yourself. Well, I didn't know what I was what what I was doing. I didn't even know I was going to leave Ghana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wrote the essay and turned it over to them. And then after about a month or so, um, I was invited to go to the capital for an interview. Um, I had never been in the capital, so so that in itself was a big surprise okay. to me. So I went, and uh, sure enough. Um, I was selected among 11 students to come to the U.S. But when I told my parents, uh, being an illiterate, it was like going to the moon. Sure. They, they yeah. didn't even, I had no idea. You hadn't what, been to the capital, we, much I, less I, across no, the much ocean. Much less, you know, yeah. And, and, and to them, they didn't know what I, what I was going, you know, where I was going. And so I was surprised too. Uh, because um, I had never been to the capital, let alone to talk about living, you know, living the country. But after a couple of months, uh, they invited me to come to the capital. This was where we were going to uh, go through orientation, and we had to stay with an American family, okay. and we learned how to how to eat, you know, breakfast American way, and and you know, become familiar with uh, uh, everything that is done here in the U.S. And so I uh, I was, you know, very happy. My parents were happy. All they could do was just uh, send their blessings, <laughs> even though they, <laughs> they didn't know exactly where I was going and whether I was going to come back or not. Once, once you began... <laughs> You know, studying and you got into college, did you did you have a sense that you would build a career here? Or did you ever think, I'm going to take what I've learned here and return to Ghana and, and see what I can do? Well, I did. Okay. I, in fact, I, essentially, that was, was what I was thinking because all the opportunities were there. The whole idea of being able to get education and learn about uh, technology and then transfer that experience and, and you know, um, techniques, mm-hmm. you know, back to Ghana was at the back of my mind. When I went back to visit, it was even, you know, my parents were so happy uh, because they didn't know whether I was coming back or not and only to find me, you know, back. And, and when I went back, I... Um, I made my father really proud because um, I, my father was a farmer, and I didn't wait for him to tell me that, look, go help me on the farm. The yeah. next day, I picked up my, uh, my stuff, and I went with him. And, and people were very surprised. You know, those who were aware that I had been to the U.S. were surprised that, look, you came, you didn't even spend a day. And you were, you know, well-trained person, and there you are, you are on the farm, farming with him. And so my my father was just, you know, it reassured him that I was not going to lose anything. Mm-hmm. Everything he taught me was okay. And and when I came back, I didn't know that when I go back again, I wasn't going to meet him. So right after my PhD, uh, he had passed away. Okay. But he was happy. He knew where I was, uh, what had happened, and, and that I was in a safer place. I want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing the last 20 years, because I'm, I know it's very different. Well, maybe it's not very different, but it's a, it's a different mindset than when you were working in academia, than where, when you were 
uh, you know, working in the cattle industry. So yeah. tell me about your business and how that started. Yeah, well, you know, I uh, I worked uh, for A and M for almost twenty years. Twelve of those years happened to be at uh, WT. Mm -hmm. I joined WT when they were still West Texas State University, okay. and and the story is so interesting because um, in nineteen ninety one, I was just uh, I had arrived here uh, in nineteen eighty nine. So two years later, uh, they hired a new president, and he was looking for a nutritionist. Uh, at that time, you had to understand the the systems were not matched. And uh, they, we didn't mix budgets. We didn't mix anything. Mm -hmm. But uh, the president of WT, uh, of West Texas State at that time, Dr. Barry Thompson, uh, he thought about it. He said, look, I have just right down here in Amarola, there were about nine scientists. And there were three of us doing nutrition work you know, doing shipping fever work. We had veterinarians. We have crop scientists. Why can't I go there and ask one of them to, to come and help me teach these classes? Sure. And sure, this was what he did. He came and, and asked my boss, uh, would he happen to spare one of my scientists, your scientists, so that they can uh, come and teach uh, animal nutrition? And so he said, well, let me check. And he went around, he checked. Um, most of the, uh, the scientists uh, were so busy, and it's understandable because some of them were, you know, senior in their position, full professors, right. associate professors. So it came down to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, you know, he said, look, uh, would you be willing to teach 25% of the time at WT? They need a, a nutritionist for both undergraduate and, and graduate. And I saw that as a challenge, and I wanted to learn. I wanted to step into the classroom again um, after doing teaching assistantship uh, on main campus. And so I said yes. And so they gave me a joint appointment. And then in 1993, um, West Texas State became part of, uh, you know, West Texas A&M system. Uh, that's the story of that, and I saw that as an you know excellent challenge uh, for me. I stayed there for twelve years, okay, and then I left in two thousand and three. I wanted to do something different, and um, I started doing consulting work. I was fortunate enough that my friend, uh, who was a beef cattle nutritional uh, consultant. He had a company that had some projects. So I was working for him here. I worked for four years. And then um, the opportunity to uh, you know, look at these compounds, you know, these strain compounds that I had met, I used the raw materials um, in feeding cattle and, and pigs. Something occurred to me that I'll go back and look to see if you can separate these compounds uh, without using chemicals. And so in 2007, that's how I started GTX Technologies. Okay. Yeah. And I started it not out of the blues. Even though I started it in the laundry room my house, <laughs> I took the idea to the Amarillo Development Corporation. 
And they liked the idea because my intention was to use these products uh, to boost the immune system. Okay. And I was familiar with, you know, sickness in beef cattle. So, and I knew part of the reason was always um, the rumen, uh, after animals have been shipped 24 hours with no food and no water, then the rumen would gradually stop working. So why not put these compounds in and let it just um, boost the rumen system? Okay. Yeah. It sounded very easy, but <laughs> what happened was um, I had to apply uh, through FDA to get clearance. And so while I was doing that, um, it was logical to start making products and putting them into agriculture because their use was already well known. Okay, in you didn't have to rely on approval then. I, I, for I didn't those, have to wait for that, that application of it. Yes, that application of effort. And so that, that helped my company a lot. Now, you, you have to understand that in 2007, that was two years before the financial crisis. Right. Yeah. And so in 2008, 2009, I was selling agricultural products. And then the idea about a functional water system, um, instead of putting this into plants, you know, to grow better crops for us to eat and be able to get mineral balance, uh, is there a way in which we can put this directly into human food system? Hmm. So that's when the idea of creating alkaline black water came in. Okay. And uh, I did, initially, I tried to advertise through Google, and I wasn't getting any hits, and I was running out of money. Uh, so I used Google to uh, find out where I could get free advertising. And sure enough, I found Alibaba. And uh, at that time, nobody knew anything about Alibaba. Um, and I, I just used PowerPoint to create my slide presentation to present my product on the website. Mm -hmm. And um, I was pleasantly surprised that the Japanese picked it up. Okay. Yeah. And and, and, and at that point, the, the Alibaba... I guess audience was mostly in Asia. Is that true? Yeah, it really yeah, had to spread. Yeah, it, in this but no, no, nobody, nobody knew anything about Alibaba, and I wish I knew. I would have bought all the stocks I wanted. You know? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but they found me through Alibaba, and they and they called me, and they, and the question they had was, "Does your fulvic acid ten T black?" And I said, "I don't know." Because I had put these products in water, be drinking water, but I didn't test it on tea and, and other beverages. I uh, say, well, go and test it, and the next day we'll call you. And so I went and bought tea, and then I, I kept on adding my products to it, and it kept it clear and clear and never, you know, had any problems. So they called me back the following day. They, they say, look, what did you find out? Does it turn tea black? And I said, no. I put as many as four tablespoons, and the tea was still the same. Hmm. Uh, and, they, and they said, we're coming to see you. Wow. And, that's what they were looking for. That's, that's what they were looking for. And that saved me because in 2008, 2009, nothing was happening. Nobody was selling anything. So they came in. They had never been in the U.S. Hmm. They bought their own stickers. And they, and they used the internet to find out the restaurant where they could, could dine. And they, and they found Kabuki. Okay. <laughs> and, and then when they called, they made the reservation. 
uh, the owner was so surprised. He said, this is the first time that I've had international reservation. And so she she actually uh, treated the group well when they came to yeah. visit. But the story is that when they came, uh, they decided that they wanted to buy some and take it to Japan. And that's how we started exporting to Japan. To, uh, to date, they are still one of my best customers. Okay. And they saved my company through that financial crisis. And, then, and how were they using the product? What were they doing? Oh, with okay, it? yes. In Japan, they really, when I told them that, look, um, there's U- USDA database that shows that our soils are over-extracted. Mm-hmm. And, and because they are over-extracted, in certain areas, the foods may not have all the mineral deposits right. that are present. It needs to be amended. It, it, it needs to be amended. Organic compounds or the, whatever. With any compounds. Yeah. So they understood that because they don't have the kind of space that we have. Right. Uh, and of course, in Japan, a small farm probably was found, you know, 2,000 years before, you know, when you talk about it in terms of the length of time. And, and extracting the minerals from that soil uh, without putting it back. So there was no means to, to do it. And they took this principle very seriously, that add the minerals to everything, from skincare creams mm. all the way to marinating meat and uh, putting it into drinking water and even adding it to water that you're about to bath Take a bath. In. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they believed in it, and so uh, this has been how they've been using the product. It's uh, it's helped our company a lot. It got us through not only the financial crisis and also through COVID, and it also helped to balance our business approach because whenever our economy slows down, right, their economy is better. Okay. And when the economy is slow, our economy is better. So are you still I, I know you're still exporting to Japan. Are you do you have clients in, in other places around the world? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Four years ago, we had a young man who studied in, in the UK. Uh, he was from India and he was in Dubai. And he saw one of the companies that I started and he saw the award. I took it. He said, this is interesting. He liked the product. So when he went back to India, he Googled and was looking and found that I was the one that manufactured the syrup. At that time, what we did was we just simply made the syrup and we allowed other companies to private label. So you might have seen alkaline black water somewhere, right? But you wouldn't know that it was made in Amarillo. Okay, you so you are the, producing it; they're putting their own label that, on that, it. That's right, and we we allowed them to private label. And so um, he said, "Look, I'm coming out to see you." Uh, it, you know, he emailed me, and so when he came out, uh, he really liked the product, and uh, he bought it. You know, two hundred and seventy-five gallon tote. And air lifted the toad to India huh. <laughs> to to start the black water plant, mm-hmm. and it's been four years uh, since uh, they did that. And then, of course, um, uh, two Canadian companies that we started, and then uh, here in the U.S., uh, several others. And uh, uh, what happened was throughout the years, we allowed people to private label. 
And sometimes their business structure doesn't fit into ours. Sure. And, and their goals were, didn't fit very well with others, with ours. So um, two years ago, I decided that we we're going to um, private label. We we're going to add a label to it. And this is how we, we started making retail products. Okay. Were yeah. you one of the first manufacturers of alkaline black water? I mean, tell me, I, I don't know much about the origin story yes. of that. I know it's much more popular now yes. than it has been for several years. Well, like it's steadily grown, but tell me, tell me well, about that. Well, it's all invented here in Amaro. Okay. So it, um, you're the, actually, yeah, yeah you're I'm the, actually they invented the first time I ever put some in, in a, uh, a water bottle with a label uh, was for a, com a company called Blackwater. They are no longer in existence, mm -hmm. but they were from Vancouver. Uh, they liked the idea that I was going to create alkaline water that has more than 75 different minerals. And, and they liked the fact that it was alkaline. And so, and it was also plant-based. And so, um, they, uh, they also found me on the internet mm -hmm. and they said, look, we want to start our own water company. And so um, they sent two ladies uh, to, to come and visit me. And then I formulated a product for them. And, and they designed a very nice label. And they took it to the Functional Water Conference in, in Scotland. Every year, there's always a big Functional Water Conference. And the product went all the way up to finalists. We didn't get first or second place or third place, but it was finalists and, and people really liked it. This was when they came back, they decided to launch mm -hmm. the first black water. I didn't think through that, look, I was going to take this, you know, into human food systems. Right. Uh, I thought about simply uh, improving uh, the foods that we eat. And, and maybe to uh, to give a better immune protection. And my latter years, I started looking at antioxidant defense system because I felt the the immune system was not the only one, but there was also you know the stress factor, and that stress factor relates to uh, um, you know insufficient vitamin C, insufficient vitamin A, and vitamin E. These are the antioxidants, and then you can add selenium and others to that. So um, the idea was, you know, fortify foods and, um, and, 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 and beverages uh, for people to be able to, um, uh, to, to, to get, you know, have access to them for health and wellness. And, and then uh, the latter part of that, we branched off and we started putting it into skincare creams. So on the side, we now have the, uh, um, we have the formula for adding it to skincare creams. And so um, it, uh, it helped a great, great deal. And it all starts here in Amarillo. Oh, yeah. Amarillo well, Workforce. Well, yeah. It, Amarillo all, Research. It's, yeah, it's all right here. And we have, uh, the, uh, I often attend uh, conferences. Next weekend, I'm going to, uh, NFL alumni golf tournament mm -hmm. uh, in Oakland. Actually, it's in Haywood, California. It's the northern portion of it. Um, and um, they like the product so much, they invite me to come and, and, and be a part of that golf tournament. Uh, so it's all started right here. And the idea is uh, spread and 
uh, we export to Egypt. We've always wow. exported to Egypt, uh, but that's for agriculture, not for okay. human use. Um, we think about our soils needing uh, remediation. Uh, the Egyptians in the Nile Valley, they've been mining that for what? Thousands and thousands <laughs> of years. Many thousands of yeah, years. Yeah, so you talk about over-extraction. This is where the, the products belong, yeah. Hmm. I think people will be interested to think of you as this business that is exporting all over the world, that is creating you know, private label products, and, and it's happening in Amarillo because we don't think of Amarillo as a major center for exports or scientific development or nutritional development, all those things. So tell me, like, why has Amarillo been a good place for you to have as the base of your, your enterprises? Uh, yes, good question, because um, I already mentioned that, look, if not because of Amarillo Development Corporation, I wouldn't have been able to start the company. Uh, I applied, you know, to the annual, um, you know, request for uh, ideas, mm -hmm. and they, they gave me ten thousand dollars. They liked the idea. They gave me ten thousand dollars. I used eight hundred dollars and approved the formula, and just relocated and rented a place and started, you know, selling product. So um, it's an excellent place to start a business. Um, secondly, very friendly uh, people and tax-wise, uh, you know, just excellent. Uh, the other side of it is um, equipment-wise and the cost of living. All these uh, work into being able to start a business on a low budget. Uh, when I started my company, although my wife was working as a nurse, we're not rich by me, so it took a while, and this was just an excellent place to start it. Um, we were raising our family while doing this, and we didn't have to sell our house in order yeah. to <laughs> in order to, to to do it. I it also allowed me to think about building the business up. I rented five different times before I was able to buy my, my own lot and, okay. and, and uh, were buildings on it. Uh, so it, it's um, then, of course, you know, the internet, you know, when the internet, you made yeah. that with the internet, I was able to reach Japan without having to, to leave Amarillo to go anywhere. And, and so this was a great idea. Hey, Amarillo is supported this week by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprays my house every few months, and he was just here a couple of weeks ago. Pestex is locally owned. They use pet-friendly products, and most importantly, they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They evaluate every customer's pest problem and find the best way to solve it. Now, summer is the season for fleas, ticks, mosquitoes are really bad, rodent problems, spiders. Um, Pestex can handle all of those pest problems. To get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up Pest Text on Facebook or Instagram. Okay, I'm back with Norbert Chirase. Norbert, this is the part of the show I call 8 Straight. 8 Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes more than 100 famous West Texas cattle brands on its unique Art Deco entrance. 
Pioneer Hall itself, the entry to the museum, has been recognized by the state of Texas as a state antiquities landmark. Uh, I'm sure that you saw it while you were there at WT. Well, it's been certainly. there for more than 100 years now, the, the museum has. So you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, you've been in Amarillo for uh, several decades now. When you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? Uh, when I first came here, I didn't know Amarillo was going to grow into a city that is uh, around 200,000. So um, it would be a much bigger city. Having spent some time driving between Amarillo and Kenya, mm -hmm. that was all, you know, nothing but farmland. Uh, now it's starting to fill up. Um, every time I drive through there, I'm surprised to see the number of homes mm -hmm. and the number of businesses along uh, I-27. Um, so I can see a metropolis right. uh, building taking shape. And I think it's going to get bigger. Business-wise, I think we are going to have more businesses. We talk about businesses relocating their headquarters to uh, Dallas and uh, Austin and other places. Uh, perhaps it's going to be Amarillo tomorrow that uh, we'll have larger businesses relocating here because of uh, the business climate. Okay. Yes. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Uh, well, <laughs> I think we, we have pretty much everything, and we'll continue to have more. And I think uh, we have people that have uh, great ideas, and, and these ideas uh, will start to develop, and, and we'll start to you know, take those ideas uh, nationwide and, uh, and internationally as well. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? Uh, well, I I can't think of <laughs> something else. Maybe maybe we need more businesses, mm -hmm. <laughs> more growth, more businesses, more jobs, and um, eventually, you know, we are going to have more people pay into it, infrastructure, and um, you know, development in general. Okay, what's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? Yeah, well, in, in terms of, we, I think we mentioned this before. Uh, when people see me and they see the product, uh, they are pleasantly, you know, surprised that uh, when they mention Texas, it's not going to be Austin or Dallas mm -hmm. or, or Houston or San Antonio, and that is going to be in Amarillo. And um, when they grow from India, found the product, I don't think they were thinking that they were going to find it in a, in a place called Amarillo. Right. Uh, they've been here twice. And in fact, about a month ago, I went to meet them in New York City. But they've come here twice. The Japanese have been here twice. Uh, the Canadians have been here a number of times too. So um, I think that alone is a, is a big surprise mm -hmm. that uh, we do have ideas. These ideas, they find themselves in... Uh, in products, and eventually uh, those products are going to have, you know, to have a label and uh, to have the name Amarillo on them. Yeah, they, they may be surprised that, that you're doing this work in Amarillo and that it's coming from here, but when they come here, yes. are, they, are they charmed by the area? 
does it feel to them like they're coming into the old west or do they have expectations that the Amarillo meets for them? Oh yeah. Well, it, it always appears, you know, different, you know, and then they look at everything and um it's unlike the old western movies that they see. Yeah. Um but uh, above all, uh, the canyon. They, when they come here, okay. I never failed to take them to canyon. And how serene and picturesque and, uh, you know, calm it is. They are uh, kind of, you know, surprised by it. Yeah, the one other thing that they uh, sometimes surprise is um, their space, how spacious, mm-hmm. you know, this place is. And um, you, could, you could drive and drive, and you have farms and found plenty of land. Um, the Japanese were very scared because um, <laughs> they had never been able to drive, you know, 50 miles right. without obstruction, turning corners. But for them to see that, and I took them to New Mexico too as well. And they were just like, oh, this is unbelievable. Hmm. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Ah, well, I usually... Um, I like to go to uh, the Starbucks on Colter, the new one. Um, but I don't, I don't mind going to a McDonald's too. Okay. Like, you know, I like their coffee. They're, actually, their coffee is surprisingly good at McDonald's. I, yeah. I'll yeah. admit to that. Yeah. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Oh, local restaurant. Uh, x Steaks is a good place. I like to go there. In Town Square? Yeah, yeah, yeah Town Square. And also Drunken Osters. Okay. Uh, they have good buffets. I like to go there too. And the Top House on Georgia is also a good place to go. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite park in Amarillo? Oh, Prairie Park, you know, the canyon. Right. Uh, the state I, park. I, yeah, 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 state park. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, John Smith Park is just right by my mm-hmm. house. And, and my kids grew up playing, you know, soccer there. Uh, so it's, it's my favorite. Okay. And the yeah. last question is, when was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? Uh, just about a month ago when really? I had visitors. Yes. Okay. Every time I, I have visitors here... We'll see the feedlots, we'll go to Cadillac Ranch, and we'll go down the canyon. Okay. And I also have to mention that every time I get visitors, I like to take them to the, the big tech zone. Okay. And so many, you hit all uh, the tourists. Uh, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. They, they just, you know, they, they're pleasantly surprised. I was going to say, what them. do they think? It's quite a spectacle out there. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And at one or a couple of times, we've been able to see people set the record. Okay, the way, yeah. really? And they, and they had videos of it. So this was a special treat for some of my guests. Okay, well, that concludes my eight straight questions. Norbert, I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want local people to know about or to experience? Ah, to endorse something. You know, the beef, all the beef you can eat uh, is well racier and and is very delicious. Uh, It's loaded with nutrients. I'll talk about fortifying your bodies for... Mm -hmm. Uh, fighting disease uh, and antioxidant defense system, uh, where else can you find it? You know, beef is actually, you know, one of the things I endorse. Okay. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that would be happy to hear you endorse the beef products here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Norbert Shirazi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Jason, for inviting me. 
And that concludes the episode. Thanks again to Norbert for the interview. To learn more about GTX, visit gtxorganics.com. Thanks to Pestex Pest Control, Wick Realty, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring Hey Amarillo. And thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 309. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.